Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, what if I told you that you could improve your brain health no matter your age, health history, or lifestyle habits? It is possible to bolster your brain at any stage of life. Take it from today's guest, Jim Quick, who was once known as the boy with the broken brain. A childhood head injury at age five left him struggling in school, but through decades of discovering different learning habits, he was able to literally rebuild his brain. Now look, Jim is the guy on brain coaching. He's a leading expert in brain optimization, memory improvement, and accelerated learning. And he's here to talk about all the different memory hacks and training methods to optimize your brain power, including one of my favorites, how to remember someone's name when you first meet them. Think of this episode as a free brain health bootcamp led by one of the top memory coaches in the country, if not the best. It is such a great honor to have Jim on the show today. Jim, welcome. Jason, so good to be here. So great to have you. As I said before the show, I can't believe it's taken this long to have you, but better late than never. Uh, you are the man when it comes to all things brain health, memory, optimization. So it's such an honor. Welcome. Yeah, that's such an honor to, to have been on uh, your show with, with Colleen. You know, I really, our, our team is uh, our, our big fans of Mind Body Green. So this is a long time coming. Well, you are very kind. And, you know, let's start. Like many people in our space, you have a really powerful personal story, which led you to your work. So let's start there by telling folks a bit about yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know what this conversation is about being mentally limitless. And uh, my, my story kind of started on the other side of that, <laughs> where I felt very limited. I, I grew up with some pretty severe learning challenges as a child, you know, up to the age of 18. And uh, one of the contributing factors was I had a traumatic brain injury when I was five years old. And so I was in kindergarten class and I took a very bad fall headfirst into an iron grate radiator and um, rushed to the emergency room. And my parents said it was, um, you know, what really changed. Like, I was very playful, right? I was very curious. I was very energized. But after the accident, they said I became very shut down. You know, it's a, uh, you know, not only where it really showed up was in school. I had poor focus, you know, poor memory. Uh, I had processing issues. So teachers would re repeat themselves over and over again, trying to get me to understand something. And then I would learn to pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I remember I was slowing down the class when I was nine years old. And I remember as if it was yesterday and I was being teased pretty, pretty bad more that day than, than others. And, um, the teacher came to my defense and all I remember her doing, she pointed to me in front of the whole class and said, you know, leave, leave this boy alone. You know, he's the boy with the broken brain. And, um, you know, I didn't know that my brain was broken and that label became my limit, if you will. Every time I, you know, adults have to be very careful with their external words because they often become a child's internal words. So every single time I did badly in school, which was, weekly, I would always say, oh, because I have the broken brain. I didn't do well on that test because I have the broken brain. I wasn't picked for a sport that, you know, it's in gym class because I have the broken brain. And that became more of my identity. And, you know, we know the power of, you know, I am statements in terms of how we see ourselves. And uh, I just started seeing evidence throughout school that I was just limited. 
And uh, so my inspiration really was my desperation. Um, I was able to learn some skills and some basic uh, strategies when I was 18 years old. And I went from below normal to, you know, normal to, you know, made progress above that. And uh, just everything changed, not only my grades, but, um, but my life. Because, uh, you know, when you, when you struggle with something every single day, having the insecurity or the self-doubt, um, you know, it's, it's kind of it was a really dark place. And, but when I learned these skills, I felt, you know, these two emotions. Number one, I felt, uh, you know, completely, you know, confident in my own abilities. But then I also was very upset that I struggled every single day, you know, with this. And uh, there were simple things I could have done to make my life easier. And so I started to share it with others and uh, started to tutor and doing classes. And one of my very first students, she was a freshman at college. She read 30 books in 30 days, Jason. I mean, I, I not skim or scan, really like read it. And that really stands out because who has that ability or even who has that drive? And I wanted to find out not how she did it. I wanted to know why. You know, you and I, in when, when I was talking about uh, your book, which uh, I'm sure everybody has right now, I'm holding in my hand, uh, The Joy of Well-Being, we talked about the power of purpose, which is the final chapter in your book. And I found out her purpose was in reading these books was her mom. Her mom was ter- uh, diagnosed by doctors with uh, terminal cancer, was only given a couple months to live. And uh, in the books she was reading were books to save her mom's life. And uh, you know, I wished her luck, prayers. Um, six months go by and I don't hear from her. And one day I get a call from this young lady and she's crying profusely, I mean, hysterically. And she, when she finally stops and pauses, I find out there are tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. The doctors don't know how or why. They called it a miracle. But her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter, who learned it from all these books. And, um, you know, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. I call them truth bumps. But in that moment, I realized that if knowledge is power, as we often hear, and I think that learning is our superpower. That if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. And it's a superpower that we all have, regardless of your age, you know, or your background, your career, your education level, your financial situation, your gender, your history, your IQ. After uh, 31 years as a brain coach, you know, we have a lot of data and we have students in every country in the world online. And, uh, you know, we discovered more about the human brain in the past 10 years than the previous thousand years combined. And we found is we're grossly underestimating our own capability. That it's not how smart you are or how smart your kids are or how smart your significant other is or how smart your team is. It's not how smart you are. It's more, how are you smart? Not how smart you are. It's how are you smart? And we all have uh, these genius capabilities that express itself in different ways. And that's really been my focus. I'm just obsessed with what creates genius. And I'm not talking about IQ. What, what creates somebody to be able to step into that version of themselves? Because I believe that there's a, a version of all of us that's patiently waiting. And the goal is we show up every single day until we're introduced to that person. So th- thank you for sharing that. There, there's a lot to unpack there. and We're going to attempt to try to cover a lot of ground with you. And I think one thing I'm curious about, you went from being, you know, the boy with the broken brain, so to speak, to obviously someone who's one of the leading experts on all things brain health and optimization. 
in that time period, you know, in your teens, in your 20s, when, when things are starting to turn around for you, were there certain practices that really had an impact where you really experienced an ROI where you said to yourself, you know what, I'm getting better. I feel good. My brain's working in a way it wasn't before. What had happened, uh, I, when I was 18, I was fortunate enough to get into a local university and I thought freshman meant I could make a fresh start. That's what I thought it meant. And I took all these classes because uh, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make my parents proud. I want to show the world, show myself that I could do it. And I purposely, you know, went somewhere where I didn't know anybody, you know, in terms of school. So, because I find that the people you spend time with, their their expectations of you or their, it kind of reinforces. So I wanted to be able to have a fresh start. And, you know, I, we do an annual brain performance uh conference every year and one year we had quincy jones uh the music producer in the audience wow yeah and i, I was like i can't I, I i gotta bring him on stage and so we have this conversation where i wanted to talk to him about um and he turned 90 this year which is remarkable not of his successes because we all know about michael jackson and we are the world and oprah but um i wanted to know what his problems were you know what are the problems he's facing and uh and then when I asked him about his problems, he was like, I have no problems. I'm like, well, we all have problems. He was like, no, Jim, I have puzzles. I was like, wow, okay. Because that totally changed it in my mind because puzzles are fun. Puzzles, there's a, there are solutions to puzzles. And uh, so my, my, when I was in school, I wanted to solve this puzzle, you know, between my ears, you know, called my brain because our, our brain are our number one, you know, asset to control, you know, everything. And I wanted to show to people that you could be the pilot of your, your brain and not just the, you know, not the passenger. And, um, and so I wanted to solve this puzzle, this kind of black box. I always wear, if people are watching this, um, on video, I'm, I'm wearing a, a brain on my shirt and I always do that. Or people see me on always pointing to my brain and photographs because I feel like what you see, you take care of, you see your car, you take, you know, care of your car because it's your awareness. You see your clothes, your hair, your skin. Um, but we don't see the thing that takes care of us, right? That, that, that incredible gift we have between our ears, three pound gray matter um, that doesn't come with an owner's manual. But what I realized that when you understand how your brain works, you can work your brain. But to answer your question, you know, when I, when I, when I was in school, I did very poorly. And as a freshman, I was ready to quit because my, um, my parents immigrated to the United States. Uh, my my father was thirteen, didn't speak the language. I, you know, lived in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at. It was um, we didn't have a lot of resources, so I didn't want to go to school um, and, and waste that the money we didn't have. And so I did, but I didn't know how to tell them I wanted to quit because I was I'm the oldest of three siblings, and I really wanted to be a good role model, you know, for my brother and my sister. Um, so a friend of mine said. Hey Jim, why don't this is a big life decision? I'm going home this weekend. Why don't you come with me and just get some perspective? And I've noticed, Jason, that you know, a change of a point of view, you change the place or you change the people. That was the other thing that Quincy mentioned in the, in our conversation. He mentioned that um, you have to go to know that he loves to travel. He actually speaks over 20 languages. Uh, many people don't know that about Quincy Jones. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of study with regards to foreign language, learning and music. But he says, you have to go to know, because when you go somewhere and you taste the food, the architecture, you know, you hear the music, the language, 
it opens up your mind. And there's this Oliver Wendell Holmes quote that said, a person's mind, once stretched by a new idea, it never regains its original dimensions. And, and that's really a, you know, a proof or evidence of neuroplasticity, that our brain is, is metaphorically, it's like plastic in a good way, that it's malleable and it could grow um, based on new stimulus. And because uh, we always, you know, prior to the understanding of neuroplasticity, we thought the brain was static and it was fixed, like your intelligence is fixed or your memory is fixed, like your shoe size. But um, when I went to wrap up the story, when I went to see his uh, family, um, they're very well off, beautiful home on the water, and the father's walking me around his property and asked me a simple question before dinner, says, Jim, how's school? And I, that was the worst question you could ask me at the time. So I just break down. I'm pretty reserved and I'm very introverted. Um, but I start breaking down emotionally in front of this stranger. And I tell him my whole story about broken brain and quitting school. And he says, Jim, why are you in school? And that new question, I never, I never asked myself, why am I in school? It's just something that you're supposed to do, right? But uh, I, I was just like, he was like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And nobody's ever asked me those questions before. And with asking a new question, you get new answers. So I go to answer him and he puts his hand up. And he says, wait. And he reaches out in his back pocket. He pulls out a notebook and he tears out a couple of sheets and hands them to me and asks me to write them down, which I, which I really do believe it's the first step in creating something externally. You take in something invisible in your mind and you write it down and it becomes physical outside of your yourself. And when I'm done, I start folding the sheets of paper to put in my pocket and he reaches out and grabs them out of my hand and he starts reading my dreams. And just to paint a picture, I'm 18 years old, very insecure, you know, you know, at the brink of just feeling like I'm actually useless. And now here's somebody who's pretty well off and happy, successful looking at my dreams, which I haven't shared with anybody, right? And when he's done, he looks at me and he says, Jim, you are this close to everything on this list. And he spreads his index fingers maybe a foot apart. And I'm thinking, no way. Give me a lifetime, 10 lifetimes, I can't crack that list. But he takes his two index fingers and he puts them to the side of my head. Meaning what's in between is like the bridge or the key that's going to get me the things on that, that list. And, um, and he takes me into a room of his home I've never seen before. It's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books. I mean, I've never seen like a library in somebody's home before. And and I'm I never. It took me three years longer to learn how to read, another you know, with my brain injury. And so books weren't my friend. And it's like being in a room full of snakes. But what makes it worse, he starts going to the shelves and pulling snakes off the shelves and handing them to me. And I look at these titles, and they're these biographies of some incredible women and men in history and some very early personal growth books like Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, Dale Carnegie, uh, Napoleon Hill, and so on. And he says, Jim, leaders are readers. I want you to read one book a week. And I'm thinking, there's just no way. Have you not listened to anything I've been telling you about my broken brain and my learning challenges? Because it's funny because people come to me at events all the time. And I'll do a demonstration where I'll have a hundred people in the audience stand up and introduce themselves and I'll memorize all their names. Right. And I love to talk about how to remember names in this, in this conversation. Cause I think it's you know very important for people to have that skill. Um, but afterwards I tell people, I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express to you what's possible because the truth is 
every single person listening could do things like that and even greater. We just weren't taught. Like there was no class called memory back in school. I wish there was. That would have made life a lot easier for all of us. You know, reading, writing, arithmetic are the three R's. Obviously, spelling's not one of them. But what about retention or recall? Socrates said learning is remembering. And, um, but we all could do it. We just weren't taught. And I've realized we talked about this. And when I was interviewing you on, on my podcast, you know, about this digital deduction where algorithms doing the thinking for all of us, right? We don't have to exercise those muscles. And I realized that your brain is like a muscle. It's obviously an organ, but it responds like a muscle. It's use it or lose it. Um, so anyway, I, I agree. I agree to read one book a week, um, but now I'm back at home and I, you know, back in my dorm room and I have a pile of books I have to read for midterms and everything. And I have a pile of books I promised to read and I already couldn't get through pile A. So what do I do? I don't eat. I don't sleep. I don't work out. I don't socialize. We talked about the power of friendships in, in, in our conversation and, uh, and it's not very sustainable. I end up passing out in the library one night. I fall down a flight of stairs and I hit my head again and I get rushed to the emergency. I woke, I woke up in the hospital. And by this time, because you know, it was a couple months of not eating or sleep, I was down to 117 pounds. Um, I was hooked up to all these IVs. I, I thought I died. And it was the darkest time in my life. Um, but when I also woke up, I thought there has to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug of tea, and on it was a picture of Albert Einstein, uh, you know, someone who I thought was the opposite of me. But it had a quote that I'll always remember. I have it on my wall in my office. It said, the same level of thinking that has created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of thinking that has created your problem, health, relationships, won't, won't solve it. And it made me ask a new question, because I think questions are the answer. It's like, how do I think differently about this? Well, so maybe I'm just, you know, I don't, not a, I have a slow brain, I have a broken brain. Well, how do I think differently? Well, maybe I could have a better brain or a brighter brain, or maybe I could learn faster. And I said, where do I do that? In school, right? And I look at the course bulletin and all classes on what to learn, not how to learn. And I put it aside and I start studying this area called learning. You know, it's called meta-learning. Meta-learning is the art and science of learning how to learn. And I think today in the 21st century, it is the most important skill set. Because if you can learn how to learn, you can learn how to focus and understand, process information, retain it, implement it. What can we apply that to? Everything, right? Our mind, medicine, martial arts, music, Mandarin, marketing, money, everything gets easier. And I put my attention on that. And... Um, and then the light switch flipped on, and that's when my, my life really started to really unfold. And, uh, you know, I made it my mission, you know, till then is just building better, brighter brains, no brain left behind. But the things that I tend to do, Jason, is, uh, and we talk a lot about it in Limitless, are my, my routines. You know, I really do believe first you create your habits and your habits create you. And, um, you know, our, our work is endorsed by like the number one Alzheimer's researcher out of Harvard University, Dr. Rudy Tanzi, the, the founding director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Brain Health. And through my presentations in these institutions, we know that one third of someone's memory or brain performance is predetermined by genetics and biology, about one third. Um, two thirds is in our influence, right? And some people say it's 100% of influence based on epigenetics and so on, but a significant amount. And so there, there are 10 areas that really that I found through our research um, and reading and role modeling that, that really moves the needle.
And so these 10 things, um, I could share them if you like. Yeah, because I think that the question which I'm thinking, and I'm sure our listeners are too, is, okay, you know, we, we've got, I think our audience has a great mindset and they're saying, okay, 33% is genetics, but, you know, screw the genetics, 67% is on me. So what are the things that I can do to help my memory and recall in my everyday life? What are the things I can do? Let's, let's do it. I'll list a 10 and I encourage everyone to take some notes if they're not working out or driving. Um, note taking, you know, it's really, it's, it's a powerful way of overcoming the forgetting curve, right? We all know there's a learning curve. The forgetting curve says that within 48 hours of hearing something on a podcast in a conversation, reading it in a book or at a lecture, upwards of 80% is forgotten within two days. And so, you know, note-taking is, is very important. Handwriting notes, by the way, has been shown uh, to uh, improve retention and comprehension better than digital note-taking, which is interesting. I like digital note-taking because it's easy to share, it's easy to save. Um, but if you can do both, that, that's remarkable. So I'll give everyone the 10 keys in no particular order that will move the needle to help you have a more focused, uh, a more powerfully mentally fit uh, brain. And what I would ask everyone to do is make this a little bit, uh, turn this into a masterclass. You know, we don't just learn passively. The human brain doesn't learn through consumption. It actually learns better through creation and co-creation because uh, learning is not a spectator sport at all. So I would, what I would ask the, the task here, if people are up for the challenge, is as I give you these 10 things, rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10. Like how much energy and effort and attention am I putting towards this you know, this, this piece. Um, so in no particular order, number one, I'll say is a good brain diet. You know, what you eat matters, especially for your gray matter. There's a whole area of science that I write about called neuronutrition, which says that your, your brain is only 2% of your body mass, but it requires 20% of the nutrients. And, uh, some of them are different nutrients than the rest of your body, because obviously your brain is part of your body. But, um, and so some of the, I, and I always prefer people get it from food, but that's my approach. And obviously everyone's a little bit different. Everyone responds to kale a little bit differently, right? And digest in terms of digestion, I would recommend people go to a function medicine doctor or do a, you know, a microbiome test, food sensitivity test and so on, nutrient profile test. But, um, you know, I'm not a doctor, so definitely go to go to practitioner. Um, but some of my favorite brain foods that are well-researched, uh, avocados, uh, the monounsaturated fats, good for the brain. Uh, blueberries, I like to call them brain berries. Um, very, uh, the antioxidants, very neuroprotective. Broccoli is good for the brain. I'll go through these kind of quick. Um, olive oil, wonderful for the brain. Uh, if you eat eggs, the choline in eggs is good for cognitive health. Uh, green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach. And I can show everyone, by the way, Todd, how to memorize this list. A lot of people go to the store to buy one thing. Have you ever done this? Jason, know somebody does this, go to the store to buy one thing. They come back with two grocery bags full of things, except for that one thing that they went to the store for. Um, so green leafy vegetables, good for the brain. Uh, if your diet allows uh, fish, like wild salmon, sardines, uh, your brain is mostly fat. So the, those fish oils, if your brain, if your diet allows, and that's that's uh, you know part of your 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 paradigm. Um, another, a couple, few more, I would say. Uh, let's say uh, turmeric. If you use turmeric, it's anti-inflammatory. Um, number, uh, I would say number nine, walnuts, and, wal and walnut looks like the human brain. And so it's just a little memory aid to help remind you to eat their walnuts. Uh, it's high in vitamin E, uh, which is which is good and neuroprotective. And finally, um, my favorite, dark chocolate. 
<laughs> not milk chocolate, but uh, dark chocolate, not a lot of sugar. Uh, what's generally good for your mood is going to be good for your mind. Uh, so on a scale of zero to 10, how much, how well are we doing on our, on our brain diet? On the other side, obviously it's, we know this common sense, but it's not often common practice. Uh, processed foods, not so good for the brain, high sugar, you know, not good for the brain and so on. Now, uh, number two, killing ants. The second uh, key to uh, limitless brain is killing ants is uh, good for your brain. Uh, ants, obviously not the insect, it's an acronym. I tend to use a lot of mnemonics. Ants stands for automatic negative thoughts. And I get that from our, our dear friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, uh, who talks about that automatic negative thoughts. Remember, like your mindset makes a difference. Somebody can learn a method on how to remember names, but like people come to me, Jason, at events, you know, during breaks and it's like, Jim, I'm just too old. You know, they, they, they whisper this in private somewhere. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't, if I don't write my grocery lists and triplicates, I'm not, I'm going to forget it. Right. Um, and I always tell people, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And so many people fight for what they can't do. And our brains are this there, there are these incredible supercomputers and our self-talk is the program that will run. So if you tell yourself, I'm not good at remembering names, you won't remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And I'd recommend everyone write this first principle down that all behavior is belief-driven. All behavior is belief-driven. You want to create a new result in your life, uh, vibrant health or certain weight loss or a relationship or certain monetary goal. We have to do a new behavior, right? But in order to do that new behavior, we need a belief that says that behavior is is possible, right? And so automatic negative thoughts on a scale of zero to 10, how positive and encouraging are your thoughts? Because if people truly understood, Jason, how powerful their minds are, they wouldn't say or think something they didn't want to be true. And that's not to say you have one negative thought or ruins your life. Obviously, that's not the case. But any more than eating that one donut will ruin your life. Um, but if you did it consistently, it's they def, little by little, a little becomes a lot, right? Same with our thoughts. So we're ingesting that junk food, which is interesting, junk food, because there's junk and there's food. I don't know what junk food is. <laughs> but um, but just like having that negative thought, it's just the, it compounds. So I would say on a scale, scale of 0 to 10, how positive, encouraging are your thoughts? Um, and the rest I'll go through fast. Number three for a limitless brain is exercise. You know, we know as your body moves, your 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 brain grooves. You know, when you move your body, you create brain-derived neurotropic factors, which is fancy BDNF. It's like fertilizer for neuroplasticity. And I don't mean just doing like CrossFit three times a week or you know doing yoga a few times a week. I mean like how much are we moving throughout the day? Um, it's so very important. There's research that shows that when you listen to a podcast like yours or mine or any podcast or an audio book and you're going for a brisk walk or you're on elliptical, um, doing something rhythmic, you'll actually retain and understand that information better. As, as you mentioned, you know, in our interview and on our podcast that, um, what's good for your, your heart's going to be good for your head, right? Or your, your brain, blood flow, oxygen, and so on. And it definitely helps, you know, when we're doing that. So on a scale of zero to 10, how much are we moving throughout the day? You know, I always think it's important to take a brain break every 30 minutes or an hour, get off the screen and, you know, take five or 10 minutes, go for that walk with the dog, do some deep breathing. I always recommend people hydrate because did you know that just staying hydrated will boost your reaction time and thinking speed upwards of 30%? 
Yes, as, as we both drinking our, our, our water. But, um, you know, especially at nighttime, we can lose up to a pound of water when we sleep through respiration and perspiration. So make sure you're, you know, hydrated. That's a huge lift, 30%. And so I would say, um, you know, when you take your brain break, hydrate, get oxygen. A lot of people suffer from mental fatigue or brain fog because they're just not breathing, right? Or when they're reading, they fall asleep. And part of it is their posture. You know, they're slumped over and their diaphragm is collapsed. And the lower one third of our lungs actually has been shown to absorb two thirds of the oxygen, you know? So just, just little reminders for everybody, even as you're listening to this, you know, to be able to sit upright and, and make sure you get enough oxygen. All right. So that's, um, then number three is exercise. So zero to 10, how much are we, how physically active are we daily? Um, are you getting your steps in? Walking is just, we talked about it again in, in, in when my interview with you, with, with, with you and Colleen, so important. Um, number four, brain nutrients. And uh, this is uh, where maybe you're not getting it from your food. You know, we, we know the soil has deteriorated over time, doesn't have the same nutrients. And again, you know, go to a health practitioner and do a nutrient profile because you can learn a great technique on how to read faster or speed reading or learn languages, all the things that we teach. But, you know, if you're not giving your brain the nutrients, right, the, 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 the techniques we teach is kind of like the software. The stuff I'm talking about is upgrading your, the hardware, you know, and so part of it is the nutrients, right? So if you're lacking, if you're low in vitamin B, if you're a lot of people, some, some say, say that upwards of 50% of the U.S. is, is low, low uh, volume of vitamin D. And it's very important. Vitamin E is very neuroprotective. Uh, your, your omega-3s, DHA. Um, so you might need a supplement if you're not getting from, I always prefer food, but if you need a supplement, supplement. So on a scale of zero to 10. Uh, number five is something that I, I know th that you and Colleen like, live by is um, when we talked about joy of well-being is um, positive peer group. So we know that it's not just your neurological networks, it's your social networks. That if you, um, it has less to do with your biology, you know, smoking and more to do with does your friend's friend smoke, right? Because we have these things in our, in our nervous system, we have something called mirror neurons and mirror neurons are our imitation cells and uh, that we tend to imitate the people we spend the most time with. They say we're the average of the, f what is it? The five people we spend the most time with. If you're around nine broke people, be careful because you're probably going to be number 10. <laughs> um, and I always tell people to watch W-A-T-C-H. And you're, you're thinking like, wow, this person uses a lot of, uh, I'm a memory coach. So I use a lot of acronyms. Uh, watch. We tend to imitate the W and watch words. We tend to use the same language of the people around us. Right, and those words affect our our nervous system. Uh, the A and watch actions. We tend to have the same behaviors of the people around we spend time with. Um, the uh, the T and watch our thoughts. We tend to have the same thought patterns and beliefs of the people around us that we spend the most time with. Um, the C is our character. We tend to model our integrity and our character. I saw this quote recently. I don't know who to attribute it to, but it said it said integrity is measured by the distance between someone's lips. And their life. They're going to measure if you do the Disney someone's lips in their life. And you, you and I were talking uh, with, about algorithms on social media. And, uh, you know, and I think it's, you know, you mentioned, which was interesting to me, that awe, anger, and, and anxiety is, is something, you know, most, most what goes, that gets the most engagement, which is kind of interesting. But it's also, um, I think it's important when we talk about social media that we practice what we post, right? It's better well done than well said. 
for sure. So I, you know, I've always taken the approach instead of just saying it, show it. Instead of promising it, we you know prove it, and especially to ourselves. And so, a positive peer group. Um, the C is character, and finally, the watch, the the H and watch are habits. First, you create your habits, and then your habits create you. You create your habits of drinking plenty of water, prioritizing your sleep, meditating each day, doing yoga, uh, reading each day, and, and those habits create us back. So, on a scale of zero to ten, how how positive a peer group do you have? Um, and again, sometimes the people that pull us down are we give them the power, our family, or you know friends. Uh, and maybe they could have good intentions, right? They see you like, why always listening to those podcasts and watching all, you know, like all those, you know, read all those books all the time, but they could have good intention, but maybe they don't want to lose you or maybe they don't want you to change, you know, maybe they don't want you to get your hopes up, but they could be sincere, but they could be sincerely wrong. But the good thing is we could choose our peer group. We could love our family and our friends, but we could, we could choose the people that we have, that we give the influence, allow them to influence our thoughts, our feelings, our, our identity. Because um, we all need people when you think about positive peers and you talk about it a lot, you know, in your book, who encourage us to, to challenge us, that are kind to us, that cheerlead for us. And if you haven't found that person yet, my suggestion would be be that person for somebody else, you know, especially be that person for you, you know, for yourself. So that's number five on a scale of zero to 10. And then the last half of it, six, is a clean environment. Research shows that a clean environment, that your external world is a reflection of your internal world. And we know this anecdotally. When you make your bed or you clean your desk or you, you put all the files on your screen in the right folders, then you have clarity of mind. So I would remind everybody to uh, Marie Kondo your mind by you know, really optimizing your environment and having more things. You know, I got so much out of our conversation you know, with, uh, with you and Colleen. It's just you know, what, what, what brings you joy? You know, I think a lot of times we're burnt out because a lot of people feel burnt out. Maybe it's not all because we're doing too much. Maybe we feel burnt out because we're doing too little of the things that make us come alive, right? That that really spark, you know, that joy inside of us. So that's why I love, you know, our conversation about that. And so um, clean environment, zero to 10. Um, number seven, this is a big one, sleep. You know, when it comes to your brain health, if you didn't sleep the night before, you know, how's your ability to focus? How's your ability to solve problems? What's your attention span like? How's your memory? You know, how, how's your mental energy? Um, we, we, we had our, our first baby a few months ago. So sleep is uh, among, amongst the top of priorities. Um, so we could talk about, you know, some, we've done many episodes and, and, you know, there's a whole chapter dedicated to sleep optimization, but that's, it's when you sleep for your brain, it's where you consolidate short to long-term memory. So if you have mem long-term memory issues, do a sleep study. You can even do it at home. Uh, number two is where you clean out beta amyloid plaque that could lead to brain aging challenges. You know, this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart because not only did I have my learning disabilities that came from a TBI, but also at that same time, my grandmother, who my parents worked, you know, many jobs, and uh, I probably had three brain injuries before age twelve because I wasn't very well supervised. But my grandmother took care of me, and um, she passed of Alzheimer's. So she started showing around the same time, five when I was five or six years old, early signs of dementia. So that's why we dedicated. Um, we gave away the proceeds to my book, Limitless, um, not only to build schools around the world, Guatemala, Kenya, Ghana, fully funded healthcare, clean water teachers, but also to um, Alzheimer's research, specifically for women. 
because women are twice as likely to experience Alzheimer's than men. Yet a lot of the research is done on, on male brains and treatments on male brains. So it's just something we're passionate about. But uh, sleep is required. That's where the sewage system kicks in when you're sleeping. Um, and then finally, eight, nine, and 10. Eighth thing is uh, brain protection, meaning how well are you protecting your brain or your children's brain? You know, sports, it's, you know, I work with a lot of uh, people, uh, athletes in the NHL, you know, in hockey or the NFL, football, um, UFC, a lot of concussions, you know, and our brain is very resilient, but it's also very fragile. Um, so wear a helmet, you know, and things, the, the things that are common sense, zero to 10. And then finally, nine and 10, new learnings is number nine. And new learnings, there was a great study on longevity. I don't know if you saw it on these nuns. Uh, it's called Aging with Grace. Great longevity study name for, for a title. And it was on the cover of Time Magazine. They found that these women were living 80, 90 and above and they wanted to find out what was the, the 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 contributing factors, and they said about half of it was their emotional faith, their gratitude, but the other half they were lifelong learners, um, and because of it, it did add years to their life and then life to their years, and so you know on a scale of zero to ten, and I, I assume most people who are listening to this, I'm preaching as a choir because you're a ten, right? Because you're always learning, so always learning. But that's how we create the new connections in our brain. Um, sometimes, you know, the two biggest dips in cognitive performance. It's interesting, is when students graduate school because somehow they associate education and learning when their education, formal education is done, their learning is done, and the other time is retirement. Often, when uh, people retire, they're they're they put. Their minds are retired also, and their body is not far behind. And so uh, on a scale of zero to 10, new learnings. And then finally, the last one, it's almost an invisible villain, stress management. You know, chronic stress has been shown to actually shrink the human brain. When you cortisol, adrenaline, when you're in fight or flight all the time, it kind of hijacks and keeps you hostage in your survivor brain and doesn't allow you access to like your creative brain to be able to solve problems, to be able to focus at the task at hand. And so I would say on a scale of zero to 10, how well are you managing stress? 10 being, yes, I'm, I'm meditating, I'm getting some body work done, it's a cranial sacral, and I'm going for nice walks and you know, experiencing joy. But how, what are you doing to mitigate the stress? So th those, those, those are the 10 go-to, because everyone wants to know what the magic pill is. What's the magic pill to be able to have a perfect memory? And there's not a pill, but there's a process. I, I love it. It's such a thorough list. And, and you know, building off this invisible villain, you know, I think everyone understands the obvious things that, that are doing damage, you know, smoking, drinking too much, drug, drug use, you know, obesity and so forth. But what are some of the, you know, more sneaky or less obvious ways that are hurting our memory, we're probably not aware of. I would say four things. Um, I write about it in the intro to Limitless. It's upgrade your brain, learn anything faster, and unlock your exceptional life. And I talk about the four horsemen of the mental apocalypse that are that are. It's, it's a little dramatic, right? And you know, nowadays it's just education doesn't land as much as education plus some entertainment, and then you have real empowerment. But um, imagine these four horsemen um, that are really laying siege on, on our mental health. Um, and I tend to alliterate, so I'll make them all Ds, letter Ds to make it easy to remember. The first one is, uh, is digital deluge. And I coined that term, it's basically the day we're drowning in information and overload. So it's, it's hard to be able to be, do the things we need to do because we're just inundated. It's like taking a sip of water out of a fire hose. 
I would imagine a lot of listeners, they have books on their shelf that they haven't read yet. And it becomes shelf help, not self-help, right? Um, we put uh, actually, for, for your listeners, if uh, people go to a link in, on Instagram, on my Instagram, I put a, a one-hour masterclass on accelerated uh, reading. So not just reading speed, but reading comprehension. But people could go there and it's just free. You'll learn how to improve your reading speed and comprehension 50% because it's a whole kind of strategy and, you know, and, and exercises that you and your family could do. But digital deluge. Um, is, so is that, that really uh, is challenging for our mind because we're just overloaded and overwhelmed. We're drowning in information, but we're starving for like the, that, those, that, that wisdom and, and, the, and the ability to swim. We haven't been really taught. Because think about reading. When's the last, reading is a skill. You're not born with the ability to read. But when's the last time we took a class called reading? How, how old were we? Six, seven? <laughs> right. And the way kids, our daughter who's in kindergarten right now, the way she's learning how to read is completely different from the way I learned how to read. And I'm almost looking at it like, I don't know if I can help you, but I'll try. Math is, a lot of the subjects, it's, it's, it's similar. You know, some things have changed, some things haven't changed. You know, like the school, like we live in an age of autonomous electric cars, spaceships going to Mars, but our vehicle of choice often when it comes to education is more comparable to like a horse and buggy. They say a Rip Van Winkle, you know, Rip Van Winkle, the guy that slept for like decades. If he woke up today, the only thing he would recognize are our classrooms. And that's not a slight against t teachers. Um, my, my, my mother became a special education teacher to help me with my challenges. She recently retired out of the New York public school system. Teachers are some of the most compassionate, com committed, capable, caring people. They're not, I don't think they're compensated, you know, as well. And it's a challenge today with technology. Um, and so the, the things, the first one is digital deluge. So they're all, all four of them are driven by technology. Technology doesn't cause them, but it certainly accelerates and exasperates the situation. So the second thing besides digital deluge is digital distraction. How do you maintain your focus in a world full of rings, pings, dings, app notifications, social media alerts? You know, we're like, share, we're getting this dopamine flood, you know, and it becomes very addicting and that that's a big challenge. So we're driven to distraction. You know, I have a video on Facebook has like 20, like uh, 27 million views. Just talking about, this is, came out like seven, eight years ago just don't touch your phone the first 30 minutes of the day. And I know it's become popular, but it's this one thing to know it, but it's another to actually practice it. Because if the first thing we do is pick up our phones in the morning, you're when you wake up, you're in this relaxed state of awareness. You're very suggestible. And the first thing you input there is your phone, then you're rewiring your brain for two things that might be affecting your productivity and definitely your peace of mind. Number one, distraction. Right, that that's a given, you know. Like our, the human brain didn't didn't wasn't created in being having the world's information like like access to it like in scrolls. Right, you could. There's so many context switching when you're flipping through a thousand different things that your brain is like lighting up and it's driving us to, to distraction. And we wonder why we can't focus at work or focus when we need to study or be there with you know our kids. And so, but the second thing it rewires our brain to do first thing in the morning, not only distraction, but reaction, which is almost as debilitating, meaning, you know, you could get one voicemail message or an email or a text message, and it could just hijack our mood, you know, for hours or the entire day. 
And our friend Brendan Burchard says, your inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. <laughs> you roll the dice. When you, when you choose to open email or text them, or you roll in the dice. It could be a great or be terrible. Yes, absolutely. And so we want to be able to, there's a quote in Limitless from a French philosopher that says, life is the C. Life is the letter C between the letter B and D. Life is C between B and D. B is birth, D is death, life C, choice. Like we always have, it's like our lives are the sum total of all the choices we've made up to this point, right? Who are you going to spend time with? Who are we going to marry? What are we going to eat? What are we going to feed our minds? You know, where are we going to live and a career? All those choices add up to, you know, big things. And so I would say little choices we make, you know, even like every day I ask myself, is this good for my brain or is this bad for my brain? You know, just a little filter system to make me conscious, you know, of, of what's going on. But I would, I would say with uh, digital distraction, the reaction is the challenge because if you're just fighting fires, you're waking up and just on the defense, you know, reacting to messages or emails or whatever, then, um, then we build that muscle, just like the distraction muscle, we're flexing it, their reaction muscle, and then we're just reactive the entire day. I always say that you want to be a thermostat, you don't want to be a thermometer. A thermometer reacts to whatever the environment gives it right? It just reacts and that's all it does. A thermostat doesn't react. It gauges, it knows the temperature of the environment. It gauges it. It has awareness, but it also, you know, sets the temperature, right? You set a temperature and human beings, we have, a, we set temperatures with our standards, with our vision, you know, with our, with our, with our mission and the our KPIs are here. And then we take the invisible, we make it visible, but you know, we are a hundred percent responsible for our lives. And I think that's an important empowering belief for everybody to, to entertain. Um, and then finally, besides digital deluge and digital distraction, the two other ones, uh, the last for the four horsemen is digital deduction. And this is a commentary that you and I talked about, about algorithms is that it's a term I coined digital deduction where we're outsourcing our thinking capabilities to, to, to our devices. It's telling like, we, like, this is the first generation they did a study with kids that this generation has less uh, logic and rational abilities than the previous generation. They're, they're contributing it partly to algorithms. You know, it's telling you what to eat and when to turn and do all. So we don't have to build that visual spatial intelligence and do all the things that we used to have to do. You know, I, I think about the, the AI is in the zeitgeist right now and a big part of the conversation. And I think there's obviously going to be a lot of good, but I think about exactly what you're saying. And I think about kids. Yes. AI is, uh, it's interesting when it comes to, and I'll give you the fourth horseman. AI for me is, uh, is a tool like all technology. Like everything I'm mentioning here is technology. For me, my perspective is not necessarily good or bad. It's just the application, right? So like fire could cook your food and fire could burn down your home. Like it's just how it's utilized. AI for instead of artificial intelligence, which it really is more machine learning, for me, it's more augmented intelligence, where I'm always thinking about how can AI, how can AI improve HI? You know, how can AI improve human intelligence? And uh, you know, even using like GPT and things, our team uses it even for learning, accelerated learning. We'll take the principles and limitless and apply it towards like simple things. Like if I want, if somebody wanted to learn something in neuroscience, you could use the 
you know, the Richard, Richard, you know, Feynman technique, which is explaining something, making it so simple instead of complex. And you can put it like, explain this concept to me as if I'm a five-year-old. And it's a wonderful way to be able to, to learn something. You could teach it to, to help you to mind map new information, you know, or help you to create a memory palace or use, you know, one of our techniques like a story method and help you to be able to learn things that you need to give a speech on or, or so on. Um, and the fourth thing, besides digital deluge, digital extraction, digital deduction, um, which, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, in terms of algorithms is digital dementia. And digital dementia is this idea where our smart devices are making us less smart, where they act as external memory drives for us. So we don't need to flex our memory muscles. Like Jason, how many phone numbers did you know growing up? Oh God, all of them. Yeah. All of them. Literally everyone always says all of them. Everyone. Yeah. How many phone numbers current, you know, do you probably know currently? My wife, Colleen and my mother. And that's, and you could be texting or calling somebody, you know, every single day. But if your phone had no battery or you didn't have it on you. You know, you bring this up and I'm like, you know what? I still remember some of my childhood friends' home phone numbers. <laughs> and, and I think everyone listening could identify with that. And it's not that I want to memorize 500 phone numbers, right? But it should be concerning to us. We've lost the ability to remember one or a PIN number or a passcode or a seed phrase or something we just you know, we were going to say, or a conversation that we had, or a meeting. But I think what you're hitting on here, in my view, is our selective memories. It's something I don't have to memorize anymore, so I don't. There are other things I need to memorize, so I do. But but phone numbers went from it was a must-have to now it's pointless. So I'm not, my brain doesn't even, I don't even think twice about memorizing any phone number. And it's true, selective memory. And, you know, we were having a conversation offline about, about this. You know, it's, it's very powerful. Like when you, you have something in, in part of your brain called the reticular activating system, RAS, which is what determines what we're going to focus on. So at any given time, we could be thinking or focusing on a billion different stimuli, right? Um, primarily, our brain is a deletion device. It's trying to keep information out. Otherwise, if we let everything, we would be overwhelmed. Right, we would we would go insane, and um, and so primarily we let we you know, we're trying to filter, and our RAS reticular activating system determines where we're shining a spotlight um, on something, and part of what controls the RAS is are the questions that we have, you know. So when you ask a question, it goes to like for example, years ago my sister would send me postcards and emails about a very specific breed of dog. It was a, a pug dog, and. Um, and it's funny, like I was like, why is she sending me these, you know, these images? And I realized that her birthday was coming up and it was like, you know, she's a good marketer. And, um, but the funny thing happened, Jason, I started seeing these pug dogs everywhere. You know, I would go to the, you know, to the supermarket, I'd be checking out and somebody in front of me is holding a pug dog or I'm, I'm jogging in my neighborhood. And I swear someone that day was walking six pug dogs. You know, my question for everyone listening is, did those pug dogs just magically appear in my world? No, they were always there. I just never, it wasn't important because I wasn't asking the question. I wasn't shining a spotlight there. And my, the lesson I take out of this is, you know, ask and you shall receive, right? And a lot of us have the answers we're looking for, but we're not asking the right question. You know, I have something in Limitless that talks about 
our dominant question, the question we ask more than any other question. And, you know, we have about 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And a lot of those thoughts come in the form of questions. But if your question is, you know, how come this always happens to me? Then you're going to get, a sh you're shining the spotlight on evidence that's just probably not the most empowering, as opposed to, you know, how can I bring more joy into this moment? How can I do this and enjoy this process? You know, what's the best use of this? You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think selective memory is an area where we could all use some work and, and use the example of, of the dogs. I'll, I'll never forget in 2002, I was living in Washington, D.C. And this is when the, the Beltway sniper was there. And it was horrifying. It was the sniper. He was just picking people off randomly. And then there was a news alert. He's in a white van. I remember. Then all of a sudden, I'm seeing white vans everywhere. It's like, oh, there's there's white there's white vans and they're just, just like everywhere. White vans, white vans, white vans. And <laughs> you know, it speaks to this larger notion of we have so many inputs on a on a daily basis. Some of them are bad. Some of them are, are pointless. And some of them are, are meaningful. Some of them are are positive. How how do we get better about selecting? what we choose to remember, throw out some of the garbage or discard it, some of the negative and get better at retaining the, the important and, and the positive. I think that's a challenge we all have. I would say a good starting point is really control. We control the controllables, right? I think when it comes to our lives, which is full of time, I wouldn't go to time management, but I would look at priority management or mind management, right? Meaning that, uh, when it comes to priority management, I always tell people the most important thing is to keep the most important thing, the most important thing, right? And so we're focused on the things that that matter. Like I don't want to memorize 500 phone numbers like I mentioned, but I want to build my memory so I am mentally fit. You know, I have, I have this brain fitness. So even if I didn't use a technique, I'm more likely to remember something because it's I'm using those muscles. Meaning that if I put my arm in a sling for a year, it wouldn't grow stronger it wouldn't even stay the same. It would grow weaker, right? And that's what's going on with this digital dementia, meaning that technology can be very convenient, obviously, but it could also be very crippling. If somebody lives on the fifth floor of their building and they take the lift or the elevator every single time, there's a cost in not utilizing your body, right? And as opposed to using the stairs. So that technology, an elevator, is very convenient, but we still want to get like some people. I saw somebody the other day take take an Uber to go six blocks. I was like, why aren't we walking this? It's nice, you know what I mean. But it's just they're on autopilot. And so what I would say here, when it comes to our memory, you know, it's important that we have purpose in remembering something. You talk about purpose in your book, like what's my outcome? Because without reasons, you won't get the results. Reasons reap results, even when you want to remember someone's name. Right? A lot of people forget people's names because there's no reason. They don't feel or they know it intellectually, but they don't feel it. I think things have, there are three H's, head, heart, hands. So people could visualize things in their head and set goals in their head, but if they're not acting on that with their hands, check in with the second H, which is your heart, right? The emotions, the, the energy of motion, you have to be able to feel it, meaning we're not logical, we are biological. You think about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, you know, we are, we're this chemical feeling soup. Right. But if we don't feel something, we're not going to get the results. And so we tend to remember things. The key to a long term memory is information by itself is forgettable, but information combined with emotions become unforgettable. I mean, just imagine 
I mean, I'm sure there's a song everyone could hear, maybe even a few notes that could take you back to when you're a teenager because the information tied to emotion or there's a food or a fragrance could take you back to when you're a child, right? Because the, the information by itself is forgettable, but once you add emotion to it, it becomes unforgettable. And so I would say head, heart, hands, check in with the second H, which is the heart. Like for reasons, reap results, remembering someone's name, ask yourself, why? Why do I want to remember this person's name? You know, how would that make them feel? How would that make me feel? And I think it's the number one business etiquette networking skill there is because how are you going to show somebody you're going to care for their health, their fan, fan, you know, family, their finances, their future, it, you know, whatever you have to offer them, but you don't care just to remember their name. So just asking yourself, why do I want to remember this? And coming up with one answer, maybe to show the person respect, maybe to make a new friend, maybe to get a referral, maybe to practice these things, you know, that I learned on this podcast, right? And then just come up with one reason you're more likely to get the, the results. Walk us through that because we meet people all the time and it's very common to forget someone's name. And I think it's great practice and it's great for all the reasons you just outlined. So give, give us a real world, you know, let's put this in the, in the practice. We, we just meet someone. How do we remember this person's name? I think that's important life skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great life skill to have, especially as, you know, at work and just, you know, again, showing people that you care about them. Um, remember everyone, I'll give you an acronym. Remember suave, suave. Like next time you're, you want to remember names, you're, you're checking yourself in the mirror, your makeup, your clothing, just say, I'm going to be suave today. And the S stands for say the name. You want to say the name when you hear it. So you meet somebody and they tell you their name and you repeat it back. Jason, it's nice to meet you. Because just hearing it again, you get to hear it twice, improves your ability to be able to remember it. You get to hear it twice, right? Repetition. But the second thing you do is you want to suave. The you is use it. You want to use it three or four times in the conversation, but you don't want to abuse it. <laughs> you don't want to say, Jason, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Jason, you want to grab something? Jason, 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 Jason. That would be an abuse, right? Like a Seinfeld episode. I think there was a Seinfeld episode about- love Love Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, Seinfeld, where he for, he was dating somebody and forgot her name. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it rhymed with a part of the female anatomy. And then every time like his friends would come by, like Kramer or George, they would introduce themselves or, and try to get the, the, you know, the woman to say their name. But it's one of those things where it's like the close talker episode, but it's an everyday situation that we're faced. But, um, but remembering names is so important. So I would just say use it three or four times in the conversation. The A in suave. And this is great to for names that are unfamiliar to you, maybe an, an unusual name that you haven't heard before. The A is ask. Ask about a person's name. You know, uh, how do you spell it? You know, what's the origin? Where is it from? Does it mean something in another language? Right? They say a name is the sweetest sound to a person's ears. So take an interest in, in somebody by asking them about their name. Who are you named after? Right? All these things you could you could ask. And then finally, the V and the E. The V is visualize the person's name. For most people, we tend to remember things better that we see than what we hear. There's a proverb that says, "What I hear, I forget. What I see, I understand." Uh, no, sorry. What I what I what I hear, I forget. What I what I see, I remember. What I do, I understand. I heard the name, I forgot the name. What I see, I saw the face, I remember the face, right? And what I do, going back to power of practice, practice makes progress, right? And so, um, like you go to somebody and say, I remember your face, but I forgot your name. 
You never go to someone and say the opposite. You never go to someone and say, I remember your name, but I forgot your face, right? Our visual cortex is actually the, the largest part of our brain. So we tend to remember things that we see. So if we tend to remember what we see, try seeing what you want to remember. So for example, you meet somebody and their name happens to be Carol. And just for a split second, imagine as you're shaking their hand that they are uh, singing Christmas carols. It's kind of silly, right? Especially if it's the, not the time of the season. And you'll always remember it because when you say goodbye 20 minutes later, you know, oh, what were they doing? Singing Christmas carol, what's their name? Carol. And this is just to overcome what I call the six second syndrome. When somebody tells you something, you have their name, for instance, you have six seconds to do something with that information. Otherwise, it's just lost in the ether, right? So if you meet someone named Mike, for a split second, imagine they jump on the table and start singing karaoke on a, on a microphone. And if it says that's so childlike, childish, who are the fastest learners, right? Children. How fast can children learn a musical instrument or another language? You know, they're very playful, you know, and they have, they, they visualize. And so, you know, come up with something that sounds like a person's name or reminds you of a person, and you're more likely to remember it if you could see it. And then finally, the Ian Suave end. You want to end the conversation using their name. Because if you could walk into a room and meet 10 strangers and leave saying goodbye to every single one of them by name, who are they all going to remember? They're all going to remember remember you. So say goodbye using their name. So those are just a, a handful of, of, of tips on how to, how to remember names and faces. And if people even went online, uh, th that same link, uh, jimquick.com forward slash more, not only is there a masterclass on speed reading, but there's also... Uh, the video on there, a memory one, uh, where I take people right on stage and I demonstrate it, where people, strangers come on and they introduce themselves to the whole audience and I show people in, in a fun, uh, uh, creative way on how to remember names with confidence. I love it. We're definitely going to link to that in the show notes. You know, you've mentioned, you know, children are great learners and then there's this moment when we finish college and then another moment we retire. Can you walk us through by decade, let's say 20s through 80s, are, are there certain things we should be prioritizing in terms of our learning? Does that change over time from you know our 20s to our 80s and so on? So research says we could grow older, but certainly we could grow better because you know we can always upgrade our knowledge, skills, and our abilities. And there's such wisdom that comes from experience, right? It gives us more schema and references that when we're younger, we just don't have. And that's one of the reasons why I like reading so much, because it allows us to live many lifetimes, right? When you read biographies of other individuals and the life lessons full of insights and inspiration from, from others. Um, but we do slow down, certainly, in terms of our reaction time. You know, our thinking speed slows down, just like our body, uh, which our brain is part of our body, tends to slow down uh, as we age. And um, I mentioned the two declines when people graduate school and when they, and when they retire out. You know, what I'd like everyone to do is just have, turn it into a habit or a set of habits or routines to keep your brain active. And so we mentioned like 10 things that people could do. I focus on, we hear a lot about physical fitness, right? And you talk about this, you know, in Joy of Wellbeing, where we hear a lot about diet and we talk a lot, hear a lot about exercise. Um, also social, like learning is not solo, but you know, it's, it's social. And so what I would think along this way is having a, you know, a book club would be a social way of learning, right? You know, on our team calls every month for our team, and we have, we have um, team members, you know, around the, 
world globally, we, you know, we, we have guests come on on zoom and you know and share for 30 minutes and do q a uh we have books that our team are, are reading you know in unison we will add your book also as well you know to a future on, on, on our book list but you know as we grow older we yes we do slow down in terms of reaction time and thinking speed and you but you could also stave off you know brain aging challenges by keeping mentally active you know, again, my favorite go-to is reading. I think reading is to your mind what exercise is to your body, but it requires that you schedule it. You know, it's one of those things where most people could actually read a book a week. It sounds daunting if you only, the average person reads only two books a year. Um, but it's amazing. Like, you know, I'm just finishing my next book and turning it in. The average book has about 64,000 words. And um, which sounds, you know, that sounds like a lot, but the average person only reads 200 words per minute. So if you divide those numbers together, that means it takes about 320 minutes to get through one book. If you divide 320 by seven days in a week, it's about 45 minutes a day. So it's not out of, you know, out of the realm of possibility. People can't get this in, you know, reading 45 minutes a day, maybe 20 minutes, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. But, you know, the rewards that come from, if people ever see me on you know, like on social media with Elon or with Oprah or whoever, we people ask how we connected. We bonded over books. So the question I have is in our age of, you know, we're commuting, we're, we're multitasking. Well, multitasking is a bad thing, but we're, let's just say we're commuting audiobooks. Audiobooks, same benefit or no? Yes. So audiobooks, it's actually when people are tested for the two things that matter, um, comprehension and retention. Right. So like when we teach speed reading, it's not just skimming or scanning. You know, I work with a lot of doctors and you don't want, you don't want the, your doctor to get the gist of what she reads, right? You, you want, you want, hopefully they're, they're, there's, it's, we teach smart reading, you know, so whether people read it faster or not, that they understand it. Um, but I would say when it comes to audiobooks, um, audiobooks don't test as well for reaction, for um, retention and comprehension. And, but part of it though, is because usually when people listen to an audiobook, they're doing something else, right? So they're, they're driving or they're cleaning the house, you know, so their attention is split. So that's, that, that would be the contributing factors in terms of why they're not absorbing or retaining or understanding as much because their attention, their attention, you can't multitask, right? It's task switching. You can't do two cognitive activities at once. It's equivalent of driving and trying to text. Right. And that's equivalent to being driving, you know, intoxicated. And so multitasking is definitely a miss, myth. But I would say audiobooks are great. I listen to audiobooks and I listen to, to podcasts, you know, including yours. And so I would say it's great to use as a commuting time or when you're working out or you're going, you know, for a nice walk or cleaning the house. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, but you're not going to get the same retention understanding if you're not focused on the task like anything else. So I feel like we're just scratching the surface today and we're definitely going to have you back again because we are scratching the surface. I know you got a, an amazing book coming out in November, but something I wanted to touch on before we go, you've got this great quiz and, and I, I love a good archetype and you've got some archetypes. And so can you briefly walk us through, and I love the names, the, the cheetah, owl, dolphin, and elephant archetypes. Walk us through briefly and let's direct people to the quiz as well. Thank you. So this is this is the first conversation I've had with anyone outside of our team. So this is uh, the first time um, that I'm talking about it publicly. This past year, 
based on the feedback that we get, um, and we have, again, students in every in 195 nations online, and we got a lot of data. And people are always asking about specific questions about focus, memory, uh, learning styles. And it, it part of it comes down to these archetypes. And what we found are, through research, my own research, is there are about four categories of cognitive types. And I'll explain you know what they what they are very briefly. People could take the quiz. We'll forward up jimquick.com forward slash mind body green. Right, so make it simple. You have to spell my last name right, K-W-I-K, jimquick.com forward slash mind, body, green. You can take the quiz absolutely free and you'll get a multiple page report on how you can tackle your studying, your memory, your ability to read faster based on your cognitive style. And so I, I pulled from this, uh, so it's called the brain code. And code stands for the four animals, C-O-D-E. The cheetah is... Uh, the fastest animal on the planet. So these are your your fast doers. So the cognitive style here are people who love the environment where it's it's fast pace. You know, there's a lot of change, and they go more on their intuition. As an example, the O in code are the owls, and your owls, the archetype of the owl, is very logical, right? They their cognitive style uh, thrives on on data, right? Facts and figures. And some people could see themselves in that. The D is the dolphin. And the dolphin for me are the creatives. They are the creative visionaries, if you will. And uh, and finally, the E are the elephants. And the elephants are your empaths. They are the ones that love to collaborate. Uh, and they, they, they live socially and they learn socially. They love working in teams. And so... The test allows you to unleash your inner owl, cheetah, dolphin, and elephant. And once you know those unique strengths, you could apply it towards accelerated learning. You could apply it towards enhanced productivity. You could apply it towards uh, your own personal growth. So the owls are your logical thinkers. These are the individuals that are very analytical. They're organized. They're detail-oriented. They excel at tasks that require critical thinking, uh, systematic approaches. Uh, the cheetah, they thrive on action, intuition. They're very quick thinkers. They excel in fast-paced environments because they adapt easily to new challenges. The, uh, the dolphin represents, again, your, visual, your, your visionaries, your creatives. And I think a lot of the future belongs to the creatives. These are people that uh, really lean into imagination. They're very curious. They're innovative thinkers. They require uh, things they excel in, that re- things that require creativity, flexibility, uh, pattern recognition would fall in that category. And then the elephants are your collaborative connectors. They're, as I mentioned, uh, highly empathetic. They're communicative, they uh, team oriented, they excel at things that, you know, negotiation, relationship building. And so I pulled, you know, from various sciences to be able to, to be able to build this and people could go and get all the science, you know, out of the test. Again, it's jimquick.com forward slash mind body green. There are a couple dozen questions like, uh, when faced with a problem, do you prefer to you know, X, Y, Z. When learning something new, do you prefer to break it down into smaller parts, you know, dive right in, learn hands-on experience, uh, discuss and exchange ideas with others, reflect on it and connect it with existing knowledge and, and so on. But we pulled from things like, as inspiration, uh, left-right brain dominance, Myers, Myers-Briggs, multiple intelligence theory. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful because once you know where your primary cognitive type is, your code, if you will, it makes life 
a lot easier. And then also when you connect with your team and they take the quiz, it allows you to know how to communicate best with them, how to be able to motivate them also as well. And you could also design your teams around, you know, and your learning around your specific type. So if somebody is a cheetah, they know that, you know, setting short-term goals is is very, is very, very powerful. Embracing experiential learning, taking breaks to recharge, you know, develop time management skills in certain areas. You know, your owl, you know, you structure routines, you know, uh, learn through logic and puzzles and brain teasers and all those. So it'll, it'll give you a detailed report based on it. And, and it's a lot of fun too, also as well. If, when people post their results, I would make sure they, they tag us because I would love to see, you know, um, people. And I'll actually gift if you post it and tag Mind Body Green, tag myself at Jim Quick. I'll gift out a few copies, signed copies of Limitless just as a thank you for participating. It's just at, again, jimquick.com forward slash mind body green. I, I love it. I encourage everyone to take it. I'm going to take it. I'm listening to you and I'm saying, wow, I'm a combination of all these. I don't know which one I'm going to be. I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued. So I'm definitely going to take it. And when, when you come back, we'll have to discuss my results. Absolutely. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. Jason, then thank you so much. I just want to thank you and Colleen for, uh, you know, been big, our team has been big fans and, and followers of Mind Body Green. So, like, now is the time we need more, you know, and I love like so much science based, you know, tools and also inspiration. You know, that's how people ask how you can become limitless in a limited world. You know, we do it, we do it together, right? And I, I truly believe that. I, I say that life is like an egg, that if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, life begins. And, and great things begin on the inside. And if you're still listening to this conversation, you know, you're self-selected, you've raised your hand, you're already, you know, subscribed to this. And I, you know, I think now is the time uh, to, to unlock even more of that genius. So thank you very much. You are very welcome. We love all of your work, Jim, and, and just been great to have you on the show. Thank you.